Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. So excited for today's Rise Together guest. He was at the tippy tip top of our list of dream guests. He's had uh, an actual material impact on our own marriage from the work that he's created. He is the author of Five Love Languages. Today we are so excited to welcome Dr. Gary Chapman. He was so gracious to give us his time today. This guy is the OG in relationship advice, and we think you are going to love his wisdom as much as we did. You say you don't listen to our podcasts, but this is one that you will actually go back and listen to. That's how good it is. Me? Yes, you, Rachel Hollis. I feel like it's weird to hear your voice. Recorded. It's not weird to hear Dr. Gary Chapman's voice, You're right. though. You're right. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. Be sure to share it on social media. Tell your friends where it's at. And enjoy today's episode of Rise Together. So I don't know how familiar, Mr. Chapman, you are with a podcast that we do, but it is about relationships. And when we made our dream list of humans that we would like to have come on to this show, your name is at the top of this list. <laughs> it's true. Well, thank you. Thank you. Part of, um, I mean, I think that we have talked about love languages for a while. I think that's been a conversation that, you know, I had with my girlfriends forever. Everyone had read the book. And so we would say, oh, what, what's your husband's love language and what's your love language? And it was a tool that we've used quite a bit to talk to our audience of listeners here. But I would love it if we, we definitely have people in the audience now who are not familiar with it. So I would love to hear about your career and how you decided and why you decided to write the first of many books in this series. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have worked on a church staff as a counselor for uh, 47 years. Wow. <laughs> Same church. <laughs> uh, and uh, counseling all these years uh, has been one of my major responsibilities, pr primarily marriage and family counseling. And so I kept running into similar situations in my counseling where one of them would say, I just feel like he doesn't love me or she doesn't love me. And, you know, in the context of counseling, and would explore, obviously, with that, you know, why they felt like that, what was missing, you know, what, what made them not feel loved, that kind of thing. And I knew there had to be a pattern to what I was hearing because I was hearing it so often. And so eventually what I did, I sat down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling people mm. and asked myself the question, when someone said in my office, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. So I later called them the five love languages. And I started using that concept in my counseling and helping couples understand that if you want her to feel loved, you've got to express love in her language. 
And if you want him to feel loved, you've got to express love in his language, not your language, but his language. And I would help them discover, you know, what the other person considered to be really important uh, and then challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. The whole climate is different now. And then I started using it in small groups, and the same thing would happen. And probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book, write it in the language of the common person, leave out psychological jargon that some people wouldn't understand, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. Of course, little did I know <laughs> that the book would sell now over 12 million copies in English and be translated and published in 50 languages around the world. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Uh, which really blew my mind because my academic background before I studied counseling uh, was anthropology, the study of cultures. And I knew cultural differences, and I thought, you know, I don't know, does this work in other cultures? Uh, and the Spanish publisher was the first one. And so I said to my publisher, I don't know, I don't know, does this work in, in the Spanish culture? And they said, well, they've read it, and they want to publish it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they sold over 3 million copies in Spanish. Amazing. <laughs> So it's pretty amazing, uh, you know, how, and I think it's because it's a simple concept to get hold of, but it makes a tremendous difference in the emotional climate of a marriage. Absolutely. I think what is amazing, just to, just to talk about the book for a moment, for people who aren't familiar, when you are on New York Times bestseller list, and you and I are in the same category on New York Times bestseller, uh, it was such a huge deal for me to finally make that list. And Dave and I have laughed a million times about it because when you're on the list, it shows the books that are there in the top 10. And then it has a little number showing how long that book has been on this list. And your book, it's like 900 weeks. It's something so crazy. (laughs) Everyone else is like 12 weeks, three weeks. And there you are, five love languages, 7,000 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. So congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, I would love it if you could explain what the five love languages are and, and everybody, I mean, we've, we've told them this a million times. Everybody needs to grab the book. If you are not familiar what your love language is, I know if you Google um, five love languages, y'all have a, like a test that people can take online that can fill out and find out their, their, their category. But I would love it if you'd walk listeners through what the languages are, because I'm sure they're going to hear themselves in your description. Sure. Be happy to. Uh, and there are no particular order. Uh, words of affirmation, using words to affirm the other person. You look nice in that outfit. <laughs> I really appreciate what you did. <laughs> you know, one of the things I like about you It's just using words to affirm the other person. Uh, You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can kill people by the way you talk to them. Absolutely. You can give them life by the way you talk to them. And for some people, this is their love language. Mm -hmm. You can speak the words. You can write the words. I guess you could sing the words. (laughs) But, But you're communicating to them 
something you like about them, something you see positive about them. Rachel Hollis is Some one people. of these humans who yes. needs this That's affirmation. That's my love language. Words of affirmation, which is, yeah. I, I don't think it's surprising because I am a communicator for a living, but I need yeah. you to tell me I'm pretty. Dave, I'm looking at yeah, him in the eyes, yeah. Dr. Chapman. I need, I need to hear those words. They mean quite a lot to me. So I loved understa- yeah, I, understanding that about myself. Yeah, absolutely. So words of affirmation. Uh, a second love language is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. Uh, you know, we've always said it's the thought that counts. It's not how expensive it is. It's the thought that counts. But I like to remind people, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head. That's good. (laughs) So uh, if this is your spouse's love language, you want to be listening because they'll say periodically, oh, you know, I'd like to have one of those. Or they'll see something on TV and say, that would be nice. Go make a list of these things, because, <laughs> and you're going to get you're going to really be able to communicate. And 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 for these people, you don't just give gifts on birthdays and anniversaries. You drop gifts along the way. And again, they don't have to be expensive gifts, but something that you really think they might like. And then uh, another love language is um, uh, quality time. Giving the person your undivided attention, and I don't mean sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch with the TV off, looking at each other and talking and back and forth, asking questions, sharing life with each other, or taking a walk down the road and talk, or going out to eat, assuming that you talk. Yes. <laughs> I like to say, you can tell the difference in, in a restaurant between dating couples and married couples. Dating couples are looking at each other and talking. Married couples are sitting there eating, you know. So true. <laughs> or, or worse, sitting there, on each the of phone. them on their cell phone. Yep. <laughs> we often say keep so, dating your spouse. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, right. sitting, sitting yeah. in a restaurant may be the best example of times when you can witness that not happening. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So for these people, it's the fact that you give them an extended period of time. It can be 15 minutes, you know, conversations. But, but it's not just talking as you walk in and out of the room. It, it's giving them your undivided attention. And you're not, you're not doing something else, you know, while they're talking to you. Uh, you get, they have your attention. And then uh, there's acts of service, doing things for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, there would be such things as cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, walking the dog, mowing the grass, washing the car, changing the baby's diaper. Ooh, big mm-hmm. idea. <laughs> yep. Uh, but anything that you know they would like. Uh, you know the old saying is, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. It's true for these people. If this is your love language, actions will speak louder than words. It's not true for everyone, but it's true for these people. This is the, that's, number five, that's Dave's love language. Yeah, that's is mine. Acts of service. That's mine. Which is interesting oh, because, okay. and we'll talk about this. Like my <laughs> love language has me usually forgetting that Rachel's isn't this, and so like I'll get up and get her coffee in the morning. You know, like I love you, and she's like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, number five is physical touch. And we've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. 
long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by physical touch. So in marriage, this is such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg. I sometimes say sitting around the house and they walk by, you trip them. <laughs> and then I say, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't trip your spouse. <laughs> uh, so the basic idea is that out of the five, each of us has what I call a primary love language. One of the five speaks more deeply to us emotionally than the other four. Now, we can receive love in all five. And, and please don't hear me saying that you only speak their primary love language. No, you give heavy doses of the primary. Then you sprinkle in the others for extra credit. <laughs> so good. So that's the basic concept. How often do you find people that need or are in your office for counseling that have the same love language? Ooh, like if you question. have the same love language, does that mean that no life problems. is awesome <laughs> at all times? Or are there still, because it's primary and then secondary, uh, things that people who have the same, you know, still need from each other that yeah. may be different? Yeah. Well, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, seldom, really, does a husband and wife have the same love language. But it does happen. Uh, and if it does, if you have the same love language, it should make life easier for you because you, you, you each going to just speak your own love language to each other. But here, here's what I did discover. If you have the same love language, you will likely have different dialects of that language. Mm. What I mean is you will, you will there will be certain, well, let me illustrate. A lady said to me just not long ago, she said, my husband and I have the same love language. And I said, wonderful, tell me what it is. She said, acts of service. She said, but the things I want him to do for me are different from the things he wants me to do for him. So it's different dialects. You know, it's mm -hmm. the same love language. It's acts of service. But, you know, there's a list of things, and I don't know what, what her list would be, you know, but maybe taking the trash out, you know, without my asking you or washing dishes or I don't know what they would be. But certain things that she really feels loved if he does those things, but he has other things that if he she does those things, then he really feels loved. Mm -hmm. No, that makes so, sense. So, yeah, that's what I've discovered. Well, yeah. I think maybe what's the most important part of that answer is the word seldomly, because I think I came into marriage just assuming that the way that I needed love or was hoping for love was the way that Rachel wanted to receive love, and that was a bad mm -hmm. assumption, and it took us stumbling through <laughs> having to figure this out, like I think most couples do, but the idea that seldomly do people have the same love language is an important thing for listeners, because if you are operating currently under an assumption that you and your partner have the same love language, unless you are the exception to the rule, you're wrong. And so, um, you know, I really would encourage people to figure out what theirs is. I've always been curious, though, where does it come from? Like, why, why am I a person who is acts of ser service oriented or has that as a, a yeah. primary love language? And, and why is, is Rachel uh, words of affirmation? You know, it's a great question that I get often. And I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the old question, is it nature? Mm -hmm. Or is it nurture? Yeah. Did you, are you born with it, or, does it, or do you learn it along the way? I, I do know this. You can discover a child's love language by the time they're four years old. Wow. Simply observing their behavior. When my son was that age and I would come home from work, he would run to the door and grab my leg and climb all over me. Mm. 
he's touching me because he wants to be touched. Mm. My daughter never did that. At that age, she would say to me, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted my undivided attention. She wanted quality time. And as they grew up, that language followed them through the through the years. My mind the is blown. Years. Yes, we are. We are looking. Our eyes are so big right now. I never thought about thinking through our children's love languages because most of the time, when I think of personality tests uh, or or something along those lines, they say, "Don't try and figure this out for your kids. Wait until they're grown up." But you're right. I can go through. We have four children. I can go through and think through. Oh yeah. That's already their yeah. love language. That's so clear. Oh, what a gift that it, is. It, yeah, it, it's there. It's there early. Uh, so, again, I don't know. It, it, it's like a lot of other things. You know, there are four-year-olds that are very organized, for example. All their toys are in a row. And there are other four-year-olds. They're totally disorganized. And when they get to be 30, they're the same way. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we have examples. Yeah, they, they, they live eight feet from each other in our house right now. And they are raised by the same people. And one of them is meticulous and the other of them is not. And that's just in their wiring. So is yeah, it safe yeah. then to assume if you can identify things at that early age that life experience doesn't tend to change the way that you have a love language? You know, I lean in that direction, but I want to be—I don't want to be dogmatic on it. I, I really don't know, you know, how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture. I really don't, but but it's just there, you know. <laughs> so we acknowledge it and work with it. I think one of the the things that I find so interesting about this process, at least when I imagine us when we were earlier in our marriage, is that I don't know that either one of us had the self awareness to even say this is my love language. Oh, yeah. It was, it, it more manifested in us getting into arguments exactly like you said, where it's like, you don't love me or you're not showing up for me in the way that I need you to. So if someone heard you describing the five characteristics or the five, five different languages, what would you say to them if they, if they listen and like, man, I, I don't know which one of those is mine. How do you figure out what your love language is? Yeah. Well, I'll give you two, two approaches. One, you mentioned earlier, you, you can go online at fivelovelanguages.com, and there's a profile that you take. Uh, as I remember, it's about 30 uh, sets of two. Uh, for example, uh, I love it when my spouse takes a walk with me, or I love it when I receive a gift. And you have to choose which of those two would you prefer. And so you make those choices, and then it tells you what your primary love language is and what your secondary love language is and how the others rank. So that's one approach. Uh, another approach uh, is, is three, three, uh, three things. One, you observe their behavior. How do they typically relate to other people or even to you? For example, if, they're, if you hear your spouse always giving other people encouraging words on the phone or otherwise, there's a good chance that's their love language. They're speaking to others what they would like to receive. That's real. Or if your spouse is always giving gifts to everybody and you just wonder, why, why do they give so many gifts? <laughs> Likely it's because it's their love language. They're doing for others what they typically would like to receive themselves. So that's a clue. And, and you can ask that about yourself. How, how do I typically relate to people? You know, am, am I am I somebody that always patting people on the back or giving high fives? Or, well, probably physical touch is your love language. 
A second uh, thing is to ask this. What does my spouse complain about most often? Mm. The complaint reveals the love language. (laughs) If they're saying to you, we just don't ever have any time together anymore. I mean, I feel like we're ships passing in the night. I mean, we, we just we don't spend any time together. They're telling you that quality time is their language. Or if they say to you, I don't think you would ever touch me. I didn't initiate it. They're telling you quality of a physical touch is their love language. Yeah. Or if they say such things as, I can't ever please you. They're telling you that words of affirmation is their language. You know, uh, we tend to get defensive when our spouse makes statements like that. Uh, you know, if the wife says, I, we don't spend time together, the husband may well say, what do you mean? Took you out to dinner Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> we get defensive. But really, they're giving us valuable information. They're telling us what their love language is. And then the third uh, question is this. What do I or what do they request most often? If, for example, they periodically are saying to you, honey, could we take a walk after dinner tonight? They're asking you for quality time. Or if you get ready to go on a business trip and they say to you, be sure and bring me a surprise, (laughs) they're telling you that gifts is their love language. Or if they ask you, honey, could you give me a back rub? They're asking you for physical touch. So if you put those three things together, you can pretty well figure out your own love language and pretty well figure out another person's love language. I'm curious, you have such a long career counseling couples. Could you tell us, and I know this is like such a big question, but could you tell us beyond beyond the love languages, is there something that you have seen time in and time out that when you, like when your kids, if your kids are, I know your your children are grown. So if your children are about to get married and you have this long history of counseling couples beyond love languages, what's the advice that you would give to a new couple or someone just starting out that you're like, man, if I had known this information all these years ago, this would have made a really big difference in, yep. in our marriage. Well, I wrote a book on that. It's called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married, (laughs) in which I share 12 things that I know now, had I known then, would have made my marriage much easier. I feel like I'm just setting you up today, brother. I just just keep throwing you you underhand softballs. (laughs) But that's a book I would encourage every couple to read before they get married. Uh, because it will deal with 12 common things that that we often uh, don't understand before we get married. I certainly didn't understand before I got married. But I would say behind all of that, uh, I think what I would say to a couple is the biggest problem in marriage can be summed up in one word, selfishness. Mm. You know, we are all egocentric. The world revolves around us. And there's a good part to that. It means I feed myself, I get exercise, I get sleep, I try to take care of myself. That's good. But when that becomes selfishness, and I judge everything in life in terms of what am I getting out of this, and I judge my marriage like that, that's where people say such things as, well, you're just not meeting my needs. You know, I'm just sorry, but I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. The opposite of that, is an attitude of love. Love, as an attitude, says, I'm here to help you. I'm here to enrich your life. 
what can I do that will make your life better? So good. When you approach life with that attitude, then even if you don't understand the love languages, if you have that attitude, then I'm, I want to enrich my spouse. I want to help them reach their potential. I, I want to be a person that, that you know, helps them be the person they want to be. You're gonna have, you get two people with that attitude, and you'll have a good marriage. But two selfish people who are thinking primarily in terms of what am I getting out of this, they're not going to have a good marriage. That's trouble. Yeah. That's trouble. Yeah. Let me ask, yeah. you have written many books. How many books have you written? 900 books you've written. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't know. I that know is, it's over 40. That is a I sign. I don't know the exact count. Uh, I, 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 more, I more want to bring it up because I, you know, like I know there's a book about love languages for children. There's, about, there's a book about apology, about a, a commitment. I mean, like if there is a topic in relationship, you, sir, have covered the topic. For a listener who is like going to jump into understanding love languages, is there a second book of the books that you've written that you say, you know what, this is the one that I think is, man, my go-to for a couple that wants to have a thriving relationship, that wants to have an exceptional relationship? Yeah, I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, I would say, in addition to the love language, that's certainly where I would start is the love languages. But I would say the book that's now entitled When Sorry Isn't Enough. The original title was The Five Languages of Apology. But I think that just as people often miss each other in their efforts to love, they also miss each other in their efforts to apologize. Mm. And you can't have a long-term healthy marriage if you don't learn to apologize and forgive. And the reason I say that it's because none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, let's face it. None of us, sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say and we do things we shouldn't do. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to deal with your failures if you're going to have a long-term healthy marriage. And mm -hmm. that involves those two things, apologizing and forgiving. And what I discovered uh, is that people have different ideas on what it means to apologize. And we came up with five. We weren't looking for five. We, we, we asked thousands of people two questions. Number one, when you apologize, what do you typically say or do? And the second question, when someone's apologizing to you, what do you want to hear them say or mm. do? And their answers fell into five categories. <laughs> we weren't looking for five, but I like five. <laughs> it <laughs> yes. works. Yes. It's a good theme. <laughs> well, could you tell us what the, so, the five apology languages were? I'm so curious now. I haven't read that one. Well, uh, one of them is uh, expressing regret, often with the words, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are those are good words, but you always tell them what you're sorry for. You don't just say, I'm sorry. You say, I'm sorry that I raised my voice and yelled at you. I'm sorry that I came home late, and I know you wanted to go to the program, and I know we've missed it. So expressing regret, which you're trying to say, I feel badly about what I have done. So expressing regret. Another one is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. I should not have done that. There's no excuse for that. Mm. I accept full responsibility. And for some people, this is what they are waiting to hear you say. If you don't say it, then in their mind, your apology is not sincere. And then there is uh, uh, the, the whole thing of offering restitution. What can I do to make this up to you? I know I've hurt you. I know I was wrong, but... But, honey, what can I do to make it right? And, again, for some people, if you don't offer to make things right or ask how you can make it right, 
then in their mind it's not a sincere apology. And then there is the expression, the desire to change that behavior. I don't like what I did, and I don't want to keep doing it. Can you help me? Can we talk? Can we get a plan so I won't do that again? I don't, I don't want to keep doing that. And see, again, for some people, this is what they want to hear. If you don't express the desire to change your behavior and you keep doing the same thing month after month and you keep coming back and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in their mind, you're not sorry. If you were sorry, you'd do something about it. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then the last one is actually requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Or I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. I value our relationship. And I know I've hurt you. So, honey, will you please forgive me? We need to take this test immediately. Uh, Rachel and I have been working together for six months, 12 days, and four hours. And it has gone unbelievably well. But there have been more times that sorry was required in the last six months, 12 days, and four hours than any other time in our relationship. And uh, I mean, I almost started crying at one point of your explaining an apology type because I went through it this weekend. So good work. Um, But that's I, I love that. That's so great. Um, I, I wonder for, we talk about like the like thing that you would counsel a new couple on or like the importance of understanding love languages when you're starting a relationship. If a listener finds themselves in a relationship that is in a rut, that is stuck, is there a thing that you've gone to to encourage a couple as a first step to getting out of that ditch? Yeah, I say, first of all, in a, in a couple that's there, I don't ever ask them, do you want to work on your marriage? Because many times they've lost the want to. You know, that's an emotional thing. They're so tired of struggling that they don't want to. What I ask is, will you work on your marriage? Mm. Because that's a choice. You can, you can choose to work on a marriage even if you don't want to work on the marriage. So what I say to them is, if you're willing to do some things differently, then let's just see what happens. And one of the things I would suggest, if a couple is willing, would be to take a book, any book on marriage uh, that you know that somebody's recommended to you, uh, any book. Read the book chapter a week. Each of you reads the chapter separately. If there are questions at the end, each of you ask, answers those questions. Then you sit down at the end of the week, and you each share with the other your answers to those questions. If there are no questions, if it's just the chapter, then you share with each other one thing that you learned out of that chapter that you think might help us. It's an outside voice speaking into your situation. It's not a counselor, but it, well, it might be a counselor who wrote the book, but it's, it's an outside voice, and over the course of reading that book, you will talk about things you haven't talked about in years, or you will gain insight into things that you've wrestled with that you've never heard this particular perspective on how to deal with it. You can learn a lot by that simple process. Uh, obviously, if you're really stuck and if you read a book and, or, and you're not making progress, go find a counselor. That's what counselors are for. They work with people like you. you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, if you had a pain in your body for five or six days, chances are you'd go see a medical doctor. Well, if you got a pain in your marriage, 
why would you rock on for 30 years and do nothing about it? <laughs> so Amen. true. You know, Amen. Reach out, you know, reach out to someone who's been trained to help people like you. Yeah. Uh, so, we've yeah, been those, so blessed by our own counseling, our own yeah. therapy that we've each been to and uh, are such huge advocates for it. But that analogy, yeah. great analogy. Like I wouldn't have a pain in my side go on for you know a long time undiagnosed or treated yeah. by a professional. Why would you do the same with your marriage? I, I have Absolutely. a question for you that has not anything to do with love languages, but more, I, I think it's incredible. I, you know, I have your bio in front of me as part of um, having you on the podcast today, and I know that you've done this incredible work in, um, in the literature space, but you are a pastor, and you have been a pastor forever, and you are still, my understanding is you're still on staff. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. I'm not a senior pastor. I but, don't I'm preaching every Sunday. Still, but I'm, a, I'm a pastor on a staff, church staff. Yeah, same staff. Still on the same staff. Amazing. <laughs> I'm, what, I'm, what I'm curious about as um, someone who, uh, you and I don't do the same thing, but there are some similarities in, in you know talking to people and writing books that we hope will help people make some positive change in their lives. 12 million copies means that you could you know, buy a rocket ship and live on an island <laughs> and never talk to anybody ever again. And so I will, if you, if you don't mind sharing, I'd love to hear, you know, the philosophy or, or what's on your heart that has you still showing up in a church, still counseling people instead of kind of resting on your laurels and just, you know, being the author who wrote this mega successful book and you would honestly never have to work again in your life well people often ask me what would you like to do if you retired and my answer is I would like to do what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) I love what I'm doing why would I want to quit (laughs) do you think that there's that's my answer oh so do you think that there's something about um Still, I don't know if this is going to sound odd, but when a lot of times I think that people come into the space of wanting to help people or they want to write books or do podcasts or whatever this looks like, and they start to have some success and that success alienates them or pulls them away from the people they were helping, which was what was giving them the information they were using to write the books in the first place. Do you think that continuing to do this work is allowing you to continue to write these books. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, all of my book has been an outgrowth of my counseling. And people have asked me also, why don't you, because I do a lot of speaking all over the country. I'm somewhere almost every week. People say, why don't you just do, you know, conference ministry, just out there speaking to people. You reach more people. Why do you, why do you want to keep counseling? And I said, I need to keep in touch with real pain if That's you just, good. After a while, if I'm out there just speaking, speaking, it can get to be platitudes. But if I'm seeing people every week and I'm in touch with pain, then my speaking is going to be more effective. Man, that's and good. And my writing Love is going to be more effective. So that, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, I'm literally writing it down because it's such a good quote for me. I love that idea. Dr. Chapman, we are so grateful for your time today and your wisdom for our audience. I know we've said it a few times, but if listeners want to learn more about you, I know everyone's going to head over to Amazon and grab the five love languages as soon as they stop listening to this. But is there um, another website that they could go to or a place that they could follow you on social media if they want to get to know you better? 
You know, that the website is the one website that I have. It's opera, I have people who work on it. I'm, I'm not a real tech person, but they <laughs> keep that thing up to date. And, uh, and they do other social media things for me based on my books and all. But that's where they would go to find whatever they want to find about me is fivelovelanguages.com. Yeah. Excellent. We are so blessed to have had you here. Thank you for your time and for your work. Honestly, it has had a tangible impact in our marriage. We have tried as best we can to share it with other people because we know it can have an impact on theirs. And uh, it's been a real, real pleasure to have you on today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Dave and Rachel. And uh, you guys keep up the good work. It's the kind of things you're doing on the podcast and your books and all of that, that that's helping people. So uh, as you well know, we need as much help as we can have in this country. So you, <laughs> yes. you keep doing your part, and I'll keep doing my part, okay? Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. Right. Thank you so much. Have a Thanks. good day.